The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. The cut. New York City is in a very special sort of purgatory right now. I mean, to be fair, I think that's true in a lot of ways. New Yorkers are still one foot in this COVID bandulce and one foot out. We're living hot girl summer and also socially stunted girl wants to sit inside with the air conditioner on all day. Summer. But the kind of purgatory I'm talking about right now... So very much up in the air in the race for Mayor Eric Adams is... ...is a political one. The city of New York just got done with a pretty major election, the Democratic primaries for the mayor of New York. Since New Yorkers will pretty likely go with the Democratic nominee, this primary was a pretty big fucking deal. There's a lot on the line, from police budgets to subway renovations to affordable housing. But the thing is, even though the election was last week, we still don't know who won. New York started using ranked choice voting this year. And I'll let you Google how that works, because honestly, we don't have all day. But in practice, what it means is that instead of having results on election night, it'll be weeks until most candidates know whether they've won or lost. That goes for mayor, but also for dozens of smaller local races, too. And all this made me think about Jasleen Carr, the city council candidate for New York's 23rd district, who I interviewed a few months ago. When we last spoke, Jasleen was at the heat of her campaign, in a dead sprint to the finish. And now she's in this sort of itchy, anxious limbo. It's like a plane that has landed, but the pilot isn't opening the doors. Yeah, so the BOE is predicting a, a good chunk of the results to be finished by July 12th. So uh, <laughs> it's coming up real soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But still, it's like two weeks out. So you're like, in that meantime, it's just chilling. Yeah. So this week, in honor of New York's latest purgatory, we're running an abridged version of our episode about running for office and then catching up with Jasleen Carr now that her campaign has stopped campaigning. I've always had the sort of pipe dream of running for office. And a while back, I wanted to see if that was actually possible for someone like me, because for the longest time, it just didn't seem possible. Because I'm kind of a ridiculous person. It kind of seemed like that career was for people who had never done anything wrong, or at least for people who could pay to make their mistakes go away. But ever since 2018, I've been thinking a little differently. How are you feeling? Can you put it into words? Nope. <laughs> I cannot put this into words. All right, your, your supporters here are very excited for you. I will, I will say that AOC did change a lot of things for me because up to before her, I did not ever think that my personality would vibe well for actually campaigning. But since AOC, obviously I've changed a little bit. It's made me reconsider some things. And now it's like, could I actually do this? Okay, so before I start making buttons and signs, I wanted to look into exactly what it would mean to run for office. Not just in general, but for someone like me. Because as much as AOC is inspiring, I still have many, many questions. Can I actually hang with the reality of what running would be? Would it be worth it? What would I have to give up? So... I decided to talk to someone who is running right now. 
My name is Justine Carr. I'm a candidate for New York City Council in District 23 in Eastern Queens. When I first started looking into Justine Carr, she felt really familiar because we have a lot in common, actually. She and I are both first generation, but her parents are Indian and mine are Mexican. She was a Model UN kid. I was a drama kid. Our names even sort of sound the same. So for me, Jessalyn Carr's city council campaign is like watching a case study, a trial run of how someone sort of like me could run for office. So for her, it all started when she had been asked to staff a seminar, a training for people considering running for office. She was only there for work, but the seed was sown. You know, after, after the course, and I met someone who was actually in my hometown who was telling me all about this council seat. So Jessalyn worked for an organization that helped immigrants run for office. So she wasn't exactly new to the game, but she had never really considered it for herself until this person at this seminar told her about this open city council seat. Her city councilor, Barry Grodenchik, was retiring, leaving an open race for District 23, her home district. The more I started to dig into exactly who's been you know, leading this seat, I started getting into this Wikipedia rabbit hole, actually, of like going back, okay, who has represented this seat since like a hundred years ago? And it was only ever white men. And so I know what the shape of my community is like. I grew up here. That is not indicative of the kind of leadership that we need to serve this community. And so that started getting the gears turning. Was there anything that made you feel like, maybe I shouldn't do this? Like, What was going through your mind? You know, the the thing about like running for office, especially in New York City, right, is that your address is public record. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't even consider that. Oh, my God. So anyone could show up if if they wanted to, to any number of candidates' homes. So all of these things are going to be in the public realm. Yeah. So obviously running for office is a very public thing to do. And that means you have to shamelessly and publicly ask for help. A lot of it. And that is one of the hardest parts about being a candidate, right? And this is an immigrant, people of color who grew up working class. Asking for money is one of the hardest things to do. Yep. (laughs) You know, right? Because it it feels so vulnerable. You don't want to be, there's like a, a certain kind of like shame that's attached to it because of the ways that we grew up and we're just hesitant to ask for it. But one of the most important things I learned was that you don't get what you don't ask for. And it's not just money. You're also asking for a lot of people's time and attention. And it was a lot of anxiety of like, I'm putting this out into the world for the very first time to complete strangers. Does that mean that like, you have to be extroverted to run? Like you can't be shy, right? Yeah, yeah, actually you can't. You really can't. As much as people hate making phone calls, texts aren't the same. You got to make the phone call. So we got to talk to people. I don't think people realize how even in like such a local election, like we have like over 200 volunteers and it's probably going to double. You, you need people, you need like an army of people. <laughs> how do you get that many people? Like, do you need a certain amount of capital to get this going? Did you have a GoFund? Like, how do you start that? That seems so yeah. huge. So we do this thing called uh, friend banking or peer-to-peer fundraising, right? Uh, I call up 10 people that I know. I will go through my phone. I go through my Facebook. I go through Instagram. Welcome everyone to Instagram Live for a New Year's Eve kickback fundraiser. Before we say every single person I've had a touch with and ask for money. Uh, If you want to help us raise a thousand dollars before the end of tonight, I need you to hit up our at Blue account right now.
And luckily for Jasleen, New York City has programs to help candidates who don't want to rely on funding from special interests and lobbies. So your contribution gets matched eight times because of our city's matching funds program. So even $10 can mean $90. If you put, pull together a certain number of dollars, you get a massive payout from the city. So I put NYC City Council Matching Funds Program into Google and found information on it pretty quickly, which is awesome. But the thing is, I knew exactly what to Google to find this. Jasleen told me about it already. But if I didn't know any of that information, would it be so easy? Okay. Starting from scratch, how would I find this web page? Okay, so I'm just going to Google how to run for New York City Council and see where I go. Okay, first link tells you how to register. Getting started, New York City Campaigns Finance Board. Oh boy. Okay, so first you gotta get an employer identification number, lots of tax stuff, bank account stuff. Then you gotta register with the Campaign Finance Board. And then there's just a lot of conditions. Okay. So it's not hard to find, but it's hard to understand. There's a lot of careful information where if you haven't worked on political canes before, or if you've never been to a training before, if you don't have someone who's in your corner who knows how to navigate these things, it can feel really insurmountable because it's, it's hard to navigate and it's not made for people like us. People like us, people like me, and people like Jasleen. So as much as it is encouraging to know that people like us have networks and communities behind us, it still feels like a really big sacrifice to run. Because even after you jump through all the bureaucratic hoops to actually start your campaign, then you need to open yourself up, not just to the voters, but to the very real possibility that your opponents are going to try to drag you. And this is where Jesseline is a much better candidate than I would be. Because I looked for dirt on her and I couldn't find anything. And all you have to do to find dirt on me is to look at my Twitter page. I put it there. All my shit's right out there in the open. All right, here we go. Jasmine's problematic tweets. Let's air that dirty laundry. Well, number one, in my profile picture, I'm wearing earrings that clearly say bitch. So that's probably not great. (laughs) Here we go. Manifesting bad bitch energy via liquid metallic eyeshadow is the closest I'll get to spirituality. Someone talk me out of getting a nose piercing. Quick, fire up the old penis flattener. Would I be stupid if I matched with someone just because I really, really want to snuggle their dog? Not giving one micro fuck about astrology. I feel like the Octomom, but for podcasts. People who have no vices during the pandemic? How? Okay, so not the best, but not the worst either. So I decided to ask for an expert opinion. Just in case. Can we can we do like a, just kind of a quick, I'll tell you about me and you tell me if if something is a deal breaker or... Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. I reached out to Stephanie Shriok, who's the president of Emily's List. A full-blown political organization solely focused on electing Democratic pro-choice women. Emily's List helps women run for office at all different levels and all over the country. They provide training, help gather financial support, and they'll even drag your opponents for you. So I had to ask, could I even, is there stuff that's a non-starter in my life that would prevent me? Because there's got to be those, right? So I am a young woman, Latina. I'm divorced. 
people could find in my digital footprint that I have done drugs in the past. Am I screwed? No. <laughs> you know? No? Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely Why? Not. Did you murder anybody? So it's really like that. That one's harder. <laughs> I've never, I've never had to deal with that. Yeah, I'm not trying to be glib here. There are serious things. But if you have explanations for those activities, I'm not saying they may not be used against you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and the one I would say is like drug use, though at this stage, like the world, it depends what, and it depends yeah. on the situation yeah. and you got to tell the story. If it's going to come out, do you have control of when it comes out or not? I almost always recommend if there's if there's a flaw that you think is that kind of damaging, we would want to talk through like if we get ahead of it and how do we do that? Okay, so let me give this a shot. Jasmine Aguilera grew up in Santa Cruz, California, a surf town known for its beautiful beaches, hippie artist community, and sticky chronic bud. No, no, no. That's not going to work. You know, I mean, George W. Bush used drugs. He was president of the United States. Okay, but George Bush's dad was president of the United States. My dad was a vato in East L.A. And part of it's also like where you live and if it's a conservative area versus a, a more progressive area. And you have to think about that, too. Uh, but again, it's back to just be prepared for what they could come at you with. But that's what Emily's List is for, right? They encourage and recruit women like me to run for office. And I definitely did feel like she was nudging me in that direction. So say that there's like a candidate like me, for example, like I, I don't come from a wealthy family. I'm not connected to people. I would have to give up my job to even consider running because it seems like a full-time job to campaign. I couldn't support myself that way. You know, like what does this actually look like for people who are trying to get their foot in the door? Yeah, well, you've brought up a couple of challenges that are really significant. Our core early support is less about dollars and more about let's help you mm -hmm. figure out how to do this. Let's let's sit down, um, which by the way, we're more than willing to do with you <laughs> uh, as I'm listening to this conversation to think through what, what kind of office you're thinking about running. Okay, so they need people like me. But that's not the question at hand. I know they need people like me, but do I need this? And right now it feels like I need months of unemployment, stress, and public scrutiny. Like I need a hole in the head. One of my big questions, and I think you can tell from how I'm dressed, is like I have a very particular, very extra style. I really like bright colors. I really like to dress up for things. At some way you have to change or adjust how you look to be palatable to the people who are voting for you. Do I just have to accept that? Like, do I have to put away my wigs and stuff? You know, I don't want to wear a pantsuit. <laughs> I, I do not think, for the, here's the good news. You're in Santa Cruz. Yeah. So I'm from Montana. Um, <laughs> so you've got a little bit more flexibility. But the truth is, is you've, to win, you've got to convince enough voters in that district to vote for you. And they've got to be comfortable with the choice that they're voting for. So do you have to lose all of your you know, animal prints? <laughs> Probably not. But you are going to have to think about what makes sense and what would be comfortable. Yeah. So it's like a job interview. Your, your, your yeah. whole campaign is a job interview. Yes. But can you imagine dressing like a job interview every day? I dress formally like that maybe once every two to three years. 
I feel like dressing so formally every day would change me somehow. Just the thought of being on a months-long job interview sounds personality-altering. And I wonder if someone doing this for the first time, someone like Jasmine, feels that. Oh, absolutely. You're going to be confronted with yourself in some of the most intimate ways ever. Like you really will have to dig deep of what parts of your story do you want to tell people and what parts are you ready to be public about too? I think a lot about Stacey Abrams and how she handled her debt. It is never easy to have public conversations about personal finances. And folks were going to use that against her. But I have two parents who were eight, nearing 70, an 11-year-old niece and a nine-year-old. And instead, she got ahead of it. By anecdote, I was standing in the airport and a man walked up to me and just hugged me and said, I have student debts and my mama lives with me. And he said, you got my vote, and he walked away. I ended up in this very genuine and understandable and authentic moment. What people see is that I have a real life and that I have the lives that they have, that they are being compelled to make choices on. Where, you know, even 10 years ago, that kind of debt would have been you know, used against you so badly because you can't, you're, you're on mismanagement, you know. She said, no, this is the lives of how many Georgians who are carrying debt and we got to fix that. And I, I get it. I get that experience. And I can, and I'm going to help us overcome it. All right. So not to split hairs here, because we all know that there were a lot of shenanigans going on in Georgia at the time. But Stacey Abrams still lost. She put her soul out there and lost. And this really hits home for me because actually this happened to someone in my family. My cousin ran for office back in 2018 and he lost and it was devastating. I come from a working class family in a working class community. We are diverse and passionate people. We pick one another up. When we hey, primo. Hola, buenas tardes, how are you? His name is Alejandro Larios, and he ran for Arizona House of Representatives. It was a pretty big deal in our family because he really put his all into it. This is why I'm running for the Arizona House of Representatives in the district that I grew up in. We need representation that reflects the needs of our community. Our diversity is our strength. Okay, so when you started, when you decided to run, how much of your self, your money, your time your family did you sink into this campaign? I put my life on hold, if that answers kind of that. I ended up leaving my job two months into the cam- into my campaign. Um, luckily, I had some money saved over. And then my sister moved in with me. So that allowed me to have my family with me, which was a crucial part in staying sane and keeping the house from falling over, ultimately. And my campaign office was out of my house. So it was every day, just high energy, it takes so much energy, especially for someone like me that does not like to ask for strangers for anything. And I had to every day, hey, believe in me. Hey, believe in this vision. I had no name recognition. I had a lot of support from my childhood friends, from my community, because I've been in the community. So I, but, you know, I needed three, four or five thousand votes. I, I didn't get I didn't get that. So. So you sunk everything into this, more or less. And then when you lost, how did, how did you recover from that? Like, what happens after that? I think the hardest part is that it, like, went from 100 miles per hour every single day to zero. 
And at first it was like, oh, I got to sleep. I think I slept, I don't know, 16 hours the day after the election. But it was hard. It was, it was a grieving process because I was in love with the movement. Um, not everybody takes it well. And myself included, it was, it was tough. It lasted months, if I'm honest. I remember looking at the t-shirt that has the slogan and it just had my name like very small at the bottom. You wouldn't notice it, but it was a slogan. And I remember like hugging it as if it were a person or the shirt of, you know, a former lover or a teddy bear from my childhood. It was like, ah, oh, I'm sorry. Would you run again? I would run again at this moment. I don't have much of a desire or, or want to be an elected official or to run for office again, but I'm open to it. We're two and a half years now after the election, and it was the biggest honor of my life. Looking back now, I'm extremely proud of everything. Um, I would say to anyone running for office, document every moment and enjoy every moment. Because if you want to look back and say, hey, this is the first election I won, or hey, this is the first campaign I ran and lost, either way, it's empowering and it's beautiful. A few months after making this episode, I still don't know if I want to run for office. It sounds like a recipe for heartbreak, if I'm being honest. But now that Alejandra is on the other side of this campaign, the Band-Aid is ripped off. And now that it's over, he can grieve it, and he can move on. And as with any heartbreak, he can put himself back out there again, if he wants. Jesseline Carr, on the other hand, is right in the middle of it. After the break... I talked to congressional candidate for New York City Council in District 23 in Queens about what it's like being stuck halfway between the prospect of defeat and the real tantalizing possibility of victory. Thank you so much for coming back again. I'm really, really thankful. Uh, how's it going? How's life right now? I mean, it's so <laughs> bizarre going from walking 10 miles on election day eve, knocking your doors, to being round the clock on the dot on election day to doing nearly nothing the day after. So yeah. it's a weird progression that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah, it's like suddenly being in the eye of the hurricane. Right, right. Okay, so where Jesseline's at right now, at the time of this episode airing, is that no one in her race got 50% of the votes. So according to ranked choice rules, there's more tabulating to go as the officials take voters' second choices into account. Jesseline still has a shot at victory, but no one knows exactly when the final results are going to be in. So we are kind of in this weird limbo period where a lot of people are asking, hey, what are the results? Has anything changed? But nothing will really change. Um, so we have a lot of time to wait and we've just been assessing whether we still have our path to victory, and we do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm in a kind of a odd spot where it's just a lot of follow-up, talking to people, debriefing with the team, and getting a chance to just process what the whirlwind of this past year has been. So a lot of different emotions, but a lot of really good, tight feelings about our chances so far. What have you learned about yourself or what has changed? Like if somebody like me were to run and like kind of follow in your footsteps, like what is something that you're like, dang, like this was right. hard or this was easier than I thought? There are so many people who will tell you how to run a campaign. There are so many voices in your ears, especially from older men who have 
a particular way of, of going about these things, but we proved every single one of them wrong. And not a single one of them had even half the vote share that we had. What were the kinds of things that they were telling you to do that was wrong? <laughs> I mean, first of all, they told me to drop out. <laughs> they were like, hey, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we should sit down and have a conversation and unite against one candidate. But the insinuation was that that candidate would not be me. So can you walk me through actual election day, like from your perspective, not even like a political perspective, but from like, I wake up in your bed as you like Freaky Friday style. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the night before I didn't, I was in the office until like 1230 at night. I was like, I I can't go to bed. I I told my manager, I'm like, Josh, I feel like if I go to bed, I'm not going to wake up on time. (laughs) But, you know, I got up, it was like a, And I prefer to like wake up very early. So before anybody else, but there was like an interesting buzz in the air. My mom was awake. My brother was awake. Everyone is like creeping in the slack. All my notifications are going off. My phone is going off and it was so bizarre, but I think still special to me waking up first thing in the morning because I was like, all right, let me put my game face on. It's time to go. We prepared our full year for this moment and I didn't feel an ounce of anxiety. I didn't feel not a a thing. I I felt like because we've been consistently knocking doors and even consistently being at the poll sites for a full week during early voting, just felt like another day. It's like, okay, yeah, I can keep doing this. Let's let's go. But um, literally, we were just, you arrive to your your poll site, you start handing out your flyers to voters, you say, hi, I'm Jocelyn, I'm on your ballot for New York City Council. I'm supported by all of these labor unions, and I went here right to the school. I hope you'll rank me number one. And sometimes you only get that in. Sometimes you only get two seconds of, hi, I'm just leaning, vote for me. (laughs) (laughs) Other times you get like someone who actually wants to stand there and have like a 10 minute conversation with you. But something that was also just really special throughout the day was that it got incredibly cold and rainy. It was a little bit hectic because sometimes your game plan wouldn't go accordingly. Maybe they want me at a poll site at 12, but it's kind of dead. So it's like, all right, switch gears, go to this other site for two hours. But, um, you know, all through the rain, shivering cold, (laughs) all of our palm cards were getting soaking wet. I was getting soaking wet. I'm not sure how I look to voters. I'm like, my hair is like frizzy and disgusting. But people are like, hey, yeah, I remember you. I I voted for you. And that satisfaction was amazing. Like just voter after voter coming out of the polls, being like, I got you, I ranked you number one. So did my daughter, so did my family. And having that satisfaction that after all of this work that we did, that thousands of people did the job that we asked them to do and really try to organize them do, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Did you know ahead of time, and I imagine you probably did, that you wouldn't find out for many many days. Yeah, what, what the we did. Would be. We yeah. did, which made the little like end of the day celebration a little like lackluster. There was like a crew of some of our volunteers in the back of the office who were like obsessively like refreshing the VOE <laughs> website. But I was like, guys, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know what the numbers look like. I'm just here to celebrate. That's it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, and it's not over No. So, okay. So this is probably gonna be the most annoying part. Um, I don't <laughs> understand. And I still don't, I've listened to radio, the radio lab episode about this. I've like tried to look this up. 
Can you like explain for dummies for me, like <laughs> the ranked choice voting like system and how you're looking at it? Like, do you know right. any of that? Or do, is that something that you foisted off somebody else and you're just like, just tell me when there's good news? I know enough to give you the, the bare bones of how ranked choice okay. voting works, right? So in this case, ranked choice voting is activated, right? If somebody gets more than 50% on election night, which is what I was hoping for, then there's no ranked choice. You won with a majority. Mm-hmm. If nobody gets more than 50%, then there's a runoff between the two. So the whole point of ranked choice voting is that you select your first choice, your second choice, and so on. Whoever comes in last place, their rank twos get distributed up the ticket. And that's that's a toss-up too, because you don't know how many people ranked me number two. You don't know how many people ranked Linda number two. We just don't know that information. And that keeps happening. Those rank twos keep getting distributed until somebody gets 50%. That's why you never know. It could be four rounds of rank choice. It could be only one or two. You never know. So it's a little bit bananas. Wow. So, uh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time at the Board of Elections for the next couple of weeks. So do you, I mean, I'm assuming you don't just for your mental health, but do you have someone on your team who's like, okay, the person in last place is like this fringy person who's like super whatever. And like likelihood that Jessleen is their second choice is like this many of them. Like, do you oh, have yeah. someone doing that math? Okay. Oh yeah. We have like a whole like data and field team who are like trying to crunch the numbers to see like, okay, what exactly are our chances? But the chances look good. The chances look really wow. good. Wow. <laughs> Knock on wow. wood too. I'm mega superstitious. So I'm just. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. So my last question is the dreaded question. What are you going to do if you lose? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, are you not even, are you putting it out of sight, out of mind? Are you not even considering it? I'm not even considering it. And that's why I have to laugh, right? Because it's not even in my mind. It's not something I think about. There'll be some people who came up to me and these were some of like the uncle establishment, as we'll call it, who would be like, Jocelyn, you're, you're so young. You have so much time ahead of you. Win or lose, keep going. And I'm like, I'm not thinking about losing. So why would you ever put that in my mind? But I think, you know, to actually answer the question is we keep doing exactly what we've been doing on the campaign, right? We keep organizing. We keep building up our DSA membership. We keep organizing people towards issue-based campaigns, you know, fighting for single-payer health care, fighting against climate change, and actually tackling our transportation desert out here. So I'm really excited that, you know, win or lose, we'll create an organizing space in Eastern Queens that isn't limited to just our community boards or civic associations. Mm-hmm. This episode was written and produced by me and Skylar Swenson. Edited by Kelly Prime. Mixed by Alex Higgins. The Cut Podcast is made by me, B.A. Parker, Skylar Swenson, and Nur Busidi. Our executive editors are Hannah Rosen and Nishat Kurwa. The Cut Podcast is made possible by the team at New York Magazine. Subscribe to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Jasmine Aguilera, and thanks for listening.